thank you all for uh, leading us in worship in that. A couple weeks ago, I watched a video of an interview. It was sort of a conversation and a debate rolled into one. It was hosted by an atheist, and he was interviewing a Christian. And it was about an hour long, and in the second half of it, it got sort of stuck going in circles with the atheist and the Christian debating different evidence around belief in God. But the beginning of this conversation was breathtaking and moving and very personal, and I want to share with you about it. As the conversation opened, the atheist jumped right in and asked the Christian, let's just get started, tell me why you believe in God, and then I'll tell you what I think. And I thought that maybe the Christian would dive into evidence of the resurrection, evidence, arguments for the existence of God. But that's not where the Christian started. Instead, the Christian said, you know, I know you, you might say that this doesn't make sense, but actually, the reason I believe in God is because I can't live without him. And the Christian continued on, and she shared about how when she was younger, she suffered from severe depression. And this depression was with her for a long time, and it impacted her life. And she shared about how one Sunday in a worship service, she wasn't thinking about her depression. She wasn't praying about it. She wasn't working to somehow try to get it healed. But that one Sunday in worship, she experienced God lifting the depression off of her. And she doesn't know why she expressed to the atheist that she knows that not everybody experiences healing from depression, but for her, that day in worship, she experienced the depression lifting off of her. And she said that she's had regular ups and downs since then, but she's never struggled with that depression again since that day years ago. And she really vulnerably told the atheist, really, this is the biggest reason I believe in God, because God did this for me. I saw his reality. I saw his love. He lifted my depression. And I didn't know how the atheist would respond. I thought that he might dismiss that. I thought that he might make fun of it. I thought he might come back with arguments. But it was really moving because the atheist responded very vulnerably as well. And he said, you know, I really identify with what you just shared because I too suffer with major depression. This, the atheist shared that when he was a child, he got diagnosed with major depression. And the atheist shared that he grew up in a Christian home and that for years he had prayed that God would take away the depression. And the atheist shared about how sometime in high school, as he continued to struggle with this, he lost his faith in God, and he decided that if God wasn't going to take this away, then maybe there wasn't really a God after all. And I share this story with you because you could see in the atheist's eyes the pain. You could see that he is longing for hope. 
that he's longing for peace, that he's longing for joy that we'll be talking about today. You could see that in that deepest place of his heart, he is searching for those things, for hope, for peace, for joy, that really can only be found in God. And the atheist shared in that conversation that I watched that if God were to take away his depression, that he would believe in God and he would follow God forever. And again, I could see in the atheist, in those deep places in him, that he was longing for God, that he was longing for the things that only God can bring. In this sermon series, we're looking at searching for, searching for hope, searching for peace, searching for joy. We'll look at today. Next week, we'll look at searching for love, and then on Christmas Eve, searching for Christ, because it's in Christ that we find those things. And so this morning, we'll be focusing on the search for joy that is in every person's heart, this longing for joy, for the joy that's found in God. We'll be looking at scripture from the book of Philippians. Philippians is written by the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul, we know as this amazing author of much of the New Testament, but you know he didn't start that way. The Apostle Paul grew up as a Jewish young man. He studied to be a Pharisee. He was studying the law of the Old Testament so that he could obey the law and hope to have right relationship with God through obeying the law. The Apostle Paul, before he became a Christian, persecuted Christians to the extent of wanting them to be imprisoned and even put to death. And then one day, the Apostle Paul had an encounter with Jesus. In that encounter, Jesus came to him and said, I am Jesus, the one that you are persecuting. And from that moment on, Paul was never the same. He never recovered from this encounter with Jesus. It changed his life and transformed him. And from that moment on, he went from persecuting Christians to preaching the gospel so that others could be transformed by that gospel of Jesus as well. A mentor of mine calls this kind of transformation being wrecked beyond recognition, being transformed in a good way by the gospel of Jesus. Paul was wrecked beyond recognition, and he never recovered from it. And so in the scripture we'll be looking at, Paul is writing a letter to the church in the city of Philippi. Philippi is a Roman province in Macedonia. If you go from Israel north and then west, you'll get to to Macedonia and to Philippi. Philippi is the first European city in which Paul preached as the gospel was being spread from the original disciples to to broader areas of the world. Paul first went to Philippi because God gave Paul a dream, a vision, in which a man from that region called out and said, please come and help us. And Paul and his companions realized God was calling them to Macedonia, and they went to Philippi in Macedonia and preached the gospel. And now, 
when this letter is written that we'll be looking at today, the letter to the Philippians, 10 years have gone by. Paul is writing this letter to a church that he loves, that he helped to start 10 years previously. It's a very personal letter as he writes to this church that he deeply cares about. So let's get started and we'll look at Philippians chapter 1 starting at verse 4. Paul writes, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It's an intensely personal letter in all my prayers, not just every so often in one of my prayers, but in all my prayers for all of you, not just for one person here, but for all of you. He writes, I always pray with joy, not just every so often, but whenever I pray for you, I pray with joy. He knows the people in the Philippian church. He loves them. And I think of Pastor Toby and Pastor Phil and myself. We would say the same thing for you, that in all of our prayers, for all of you, we always pray with joy because we know you and we love you and we love partnering with you in the gospel just as Paul loved partnering in the gospel with the people of Philippi. In scripture, we learn of a couple of the people in the church in Philippi. Acts chapter 16 describes when Paul first came to Philippi. And we learn of two different people. The first of them is a woman named Lydia. And scripture tells us that Lydia was a wealthy woman. She sold purple cloth. Paul and his companions found her and others at this place of prayer. Lydia was a God-fearer. She wasn't a Jew, but she, she was seeking the God of the Jews. She was a worshiper as much as she knew how. She was a fearer of God, seeking to know the one true God. And scripture in Acts 16 tells us of how Lydia received the message that Paul preached and she responded, and she brought Paul and his companions to her household, and her whole household responded. And they all were baptized, and they celebrated that they had received the gospel, and it was transforming their lives. And Lydia and her household are a part of that church in Philippi that Paul then writes to 10 years later. Paul tells this, or we learn in Acts 16, the story of another person that is part of the church in Philippi, a jailer. Ten years ago, prior to Paul's writing this letter, as Paul and his companions preached the gospel, controversy arose over the power of God that was being displayed. And Paul and Silas were arrested, and they were put in prison. And that night, as the jailer was charged with keeping watch over them, Paul and Silas were worshiping God and singing hymns and praying, and the prisoners were all listening to them. And as they prayed and worshiped, an earthquake came, and God's power broke the chains off of them, and all the prisoners were set free. And the scripture in Acts 16 
tells the story of how the jailer is about to kill himself because he was in charge of keeping those prisoners and they, God had set them free. And the scripture tells us how Paul comes to the jailer and says, don't worry, we're all here. We, we haven't run away, we're all here. And the jailer receives the message of the gospel and he and his whole household are baptized and their lives are transformed and they are a part of this church in Philippi. And so this is an intensely personal letter for Paul as he reaches out to this church in Philippi filled with people that he knows and loves. Their lives have been transformed by the gospel. And let's continue a little bit further in his letter at verse 12. Paul writes, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. And we might wonder, what, <laughs> Paul, <laughs> what has happened? And Paul continues on, as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace garden to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And I picture us saying, wait a moment, Paul, you just said you're praying with joy for all of us all the time. You're praying for jo with joy from prison? Paul, you're in chains, and you're praying with joy for all of us? I think of prisons that I have seen in La Paz, Mexico, I visited a prison where women were able to keep their children with them within the prison. They were able to live with their children, but with a prison wall around them. And I wonder, how is it possible to go forwards with life and to keep your joy when you're raising your child in a prison? In Uganda... I've visited a couple prisons, and um, I've, I taught a mathematics course in prison in Uganda, and my students, some of them had the death penalty. They, were, they would be wearing different uniforms that would show what kind of sentence they had, and some of the people that I was sharing math with had a sentence of death on their lives, and I wondered... How do you go forwards with your daily life when you know you have a death sentence? How do you hold on to joy when you know you have a death sentence? And here in the U.S., I've visited prisons, and I've heard prisoners say that they almost never get a visitor. And I've heard prisoners say that it's only when outsiders come in that for a few moments they can feel like they're actually human beings. And again, I wonder... How do we hold on to joy when we are in prison, as Paul was? And I think of our own lives and the prisons that we can feel like we are in. Prisons of disappointment, where the days go on and on, and something that we care deeply about doesn't get fixed. And we feel this ongoing disappointment that is with us, Everywhere we go, whatever we're doing, we feel this disappointment deep in us. I think about prisons we are in from betrayal, where we feel this deep 
sadness and grief with us throughout our day, even even when we're going about our regular daily lives. I think about other kinds of emotional pain that feels like a prison. I think about illness and chronic pain and hard things that our families go through and confusion. And I wonder, how can we hold on to joy in the middle of the prisons that we're in? And I think that Paul, in the scripture in Philippians, has things to say to us to help us have joy in the gospel and in Jesus, even in the middle of the prisons that we feel we are in. As Philippians continues on, Paul shares that not only is he in prison, but there are some who are making his life even harder than it already is by preaching the gospel with insincere motives that actually make his life even more challenging. And I want to look at what he says about this in verse 18 because it's remarkable. Here's what Paul says. But what does it matter? What does it matter if these people out there are making life even harder for me? He says the important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Paul says, because Christ is preached, because people are hearing the gospel, because lives are being transformed, Paul says, I rejoice. And he says, yes, and I will continue to rejoice because Christ is preached. Some of you may have seen churches do cardboard testimonies. Have you seen that before? Where different members of the church write on a piece of cardboard what their life was like before Christ and then how Christ, through the gospel, transformed their lives. And I thought about what Paul and Lydia and the jailer might have put on their cardboard testimonies. And so I brought in their cardboard testimonies. So I think of Paul Before Paul followed Jesus, he was a violent critic of the church. He was a violent critic of Christians to the point of wanting them to die. And then Paul had that encounter with Jesus, and his life was transformed. And from then on, he became a devoted servant, devoted to Jesus, devoted to the one he had been persecuting. Paul knew the power of the gospel to change our lives because the gospel had changed his own life. And so he rejoiced, even in that prison. He rejoiced because the gospel was continuing to go forward and lives were continuing to be changed. And I think of Lydia Lydia was the God-fearing woman, the seeker, who was seeking the God of the Jews and doing her best to worship him as much as she could. And when Paul and his companions preached to her, this happened. God found her. She didn't have to be a seeker anymore. Now God had found her. She was a follower of Jesus, the one whom she had been seeking. And Paul, I believe, rejoiced even in prison 
thinking back to Lydia and how the gospel had changed her life. And I think of the jailer. The reason I think this is his cardboard testimony, fearful, is because the jailer was ready to kill himself when he realized that the prisoner's chains had been broken off. He was so fearful that he was ready to give up his life. And then Paul and his companions were able to share the gospel with him. And this happened. And the scripture says that the jailer and his whole household were filled with joy because they had come to know God. And I included one more cardboard testimony here. This is the story of a woman who always felt on the outside growing up. Um, It didn't matter what was going on in her life, who she was with. She always felt like an outcast on the outside. And in this woman's story, the gospel came to her as well and transformed her life as well. And this happened. She became loved by God. And I don't know if you can guess whose cardboard testimony this one is, but it's mine. (laughs) And I can picture Paul in a prison cell celebrating and rejoicing because of how the gospel goes forward and transforms people's lives. Paul had experienced it for himself, and he had experienced it as he ministered and shared the gospel. Let's continue to verse 21, Philippians chapter 1. Paul writes, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And I think this is the heart of how we can have joy even in the middle of whatever is going on around us. Think of Paul in his prison cell saying, for me to live is Christ. If I remain in prison, the the guard and all around me will know that I am in chains for Christ, and they will hear the gospel. And if I die, then I'll be with Christ. Paul says, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. He can't lose Because to live is Christ, to die is gain. So from prison, he can rejoice. Because to live is Christ, to die is gain. I think of the words that Andrew and Anne shared this morning for the Advent reading from Isaiah. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. Paul knew, and we know, that Jesus is that promised one. God had promised deliverance, salvation, redemption, and that redemption is in Jesus. And whatever we are experiencing in physical prison, in the prisons in our hearts, that reality is true, that to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and that in this child, in this son, in Jesus, There is redemption, that God is making all things right. To live is Christ, to die is gain, as God makes all things right. And Paul continues on in his letter, and 
shares various other things with the Philippian church. And I want to pick up one more verse from Paul in chapter 4, verse 4. Paul says simply, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. He puts a double emphasis on this writing from prison. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. And to close, I want to share a story Another story of what it looks like to know that to live is Christ and to die is gain and to live a life of rejoicing. The story I'm going to share is about a man named Pastor Chen. Pastor Chen lived in China and grew up not as a Christian, but at some point in his life, somebody preached that life-transforming gospel of Jesus to him. And he became a pastor and an evangelist. And he pastored house churches and villages and had worship and Bible study. He was arrested and then released and then arrested again. And this took place in the 50s and the 60s. And on his second arrest, he was sentenced to 18 years in a work camp, a prison work camp. And at that work camp, the guards tried to break him. They tried to break his spirit. His son was killed while he was in prison. His wife died while he was in prison. And for six of those 18 years, Pastor Chen was given the job of working in a sewer. And this was a sewer that served 60,000 prisoners and Each day, Pastor Chen would be lowered into the sewer, and his task was to to gather the waste, the human waste, and collect it so it could be used as fertilizer. Ultimately, he was released, and he shared this story publicly. And he says that his first day in the sewer, he thought he would die that day. The stench was so bad. But the second day, he realized something. In prison, there's no privacy. There was no place where he could worship and pray. And he realized that God had given him a job where he was all alone in the sewer. And he began worshiping God and praying to God and reciting scripture. And every day when he would be lowered into the sewer, He would sing worship to God with joy. He had a favorite song that he would sing. It's an old hymn, I Come to the Garden. It says, I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses. And it continues on. And speaking of God, it says, he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there None other has ever known. And Pastor Chen would worship and sing this song standing in the sewer each day. Pastor Chen spoke of how in that sewer he began to feel like he could smell the aroma of God as that sewer became a holy place where he would worship God with joy. Eventually he was released and he sent word to the original village where he had pastored a church. And it took him three days to get back to that village. And when he got there, he was joyfully reunited with some of the the original people that he had pastored years ago. And then, to his amazement, 
5,000 Christians gathered around him to welcome him home. And he tells the story of just falling to his knees and how they all fell to their knees and worshipped God. That in the years that Pastor Chen was in prison, the gospel continued to go forth and lives continued to be transformed by this gospel. And I, I read different accounts and also brought in a picture of what this might have looked like. I imagine this is a reenactment of what this may have looked like, but it gives us a visual picture of Pastor Chen worshiping God in the sewer. And in the accounts that I've read, when Pastor Chen shares his story, his eyes sparkle with the joy that he has because of how the gospel continued to go forth and people's lives continued to be transformed. Pastor Chen had learned that at the heart of rejoicing is not our circumstances, but an awareness of the presence of God with us and a joy in the gospel that transforms our lives and transforms everyone's life that the gospel comes to. Scripture says that in God's presence is fullness of joy. And Pastor Chen experienced that in amazing ways. I thought about what couple words I would invite you to take with you this week. And here's my invitation. Rejoice, repeat. <laughs> what if through our week we rejoice, repeat, and we live lives of rejoicing, knowing that the gospel has transformed our lives and that the gospel is still going forth and transforming lives, knowing that we can trust the God who is making all things right, knowing that to live is Christ and to die is gain. We can go forwards through whatever we are experiencing, knowing that God is with us, that God is for us, and that we have this relationship with Christ that, it, that means everything in our lives. So I invite us this week to rejoice, repeat. Let's take a look at our weekly challenge. So this week, let's read Philippians 1, 4 through 6, and also Acts 16, which speaks about the Philippian church, and reflect on why you think the Apostle Paul feels so much joy for this church in Philippi. To grow, let's memorize Philippians 1.21 and reflect on what these words meant to Paul as he was writing from prison and what these words mean to us in the reality of our daily lives. And for overflow, let's read Philippians 4.4, and I want to invite you to think about what your cardboard testimony would say. What would the before words be? And then what would the words be that express how God has transformed you? Would you join me in prayer as we close this message time? God, thank you that your gospel of Jesus transforms lives. You have transformed our lives. You are transforming our lives. You'll continue transforming our lives. Thank you that we get to partner with you 
in sharing this gospel that others' lives can be transformed as well. God, thank you that for each of us to live as Christ, to die as gain. Thank you that you are with us, that you are redeeming things, that you are making things right, that you will never leave or forsake us. God, I pray for us as we think about the transformation you have done in us. Help us to live lives of rejoicing. Let us truly rejoice and repeat as we go through our daily lives. Thank you for your incredible goodness and love. God, I give you praise for what you've done in my life, my cardboard testimony, that you could change me from an outcast to somebody loved by you, God. Thank you for the cardboard testimonies all around this room, how you have transformed us, how you have let us know your love, and you have brought us life in you, God. God, we love you, we worship you this morning, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.